look at our scripture, which can be found on the back of the bulletin as we look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 23. The scripture says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If any one among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The word of the Lord. Well, I recently played a pickleball tournament. I enjoy playing pickleball tournaments. And I knew that there were some question marks coming into this tournament. I was feeling this sort of tightness in my chest, and there was this nasty habit of coughing and things coming out of my lungs, which were not the most attractive. But I thought to myself, I had played a tournament before. I had been sick. I had done well. Everything will be fine. And everything was until it wasn't. In my second match, all of a sudden, everything seemed to slow down. At least I seemed to slow down, and the ball seemed to speed up. It was going faster than I could uh, deal with, and uh, I was going slower and slower. And I lost that match, and then I played my next match, and I didn't even really care, honestly. I was so tired. Um, something was wrong. Now, I could have just said, well, off day, get some sleep, get some rest, you'll be fine. But no, I knew that something wasn't right looking at my behavior. So I went to the doctor and I said, hey, can you x-ray my lungs? And so they x-rayed my lungs, they x-rayed my uh, sinuses and, as well. As, and they said, well, you don't ha nothing's wrong with your lungs, but you have a sinus infection. You're all filled up with fluid here. And that'll cause issues in terms of, A, your... Uh, energy, and also your equilibrium, right? Because they're all tied to your ears. See, the little problem that I had somewhere that I didn't care for became a big problem. And to fix that problem, would a Band-Aid have been a suitable solution? The answer is no. I needed to get to the root of the problem. And so, uh, you know, I've been on the antibiotics and uh, the drugs that are going to take care of the issue. Now, why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because in this passage, we see that the Corinthians have a problem. If you look on the outside, if you look at their behavior, the symptoms, you see division, a lack of love, a lack of service and care for one another. And in fact, they don't even realize that they have a problem. And so Paul in this passage is x-raying the Corinthians. He's getting down so that they can see that the root of the problem is inside and manifesting itself in their behavior. And what is the problem at the root of the behavior of the Corinthians? That they have exchanged the riches of Christ for the fool's gold of the world. 
And as a result, they're living like the world and not the people of God. I want to go ahead and I want to take this passage and I want it to be an x-ray for us. Do we as a church have a problem? And the answer is maybe. Because what is inside will ultimately manifest itself outside in our behavior. Paul's message is the same message for us. That we must stop following the world. That we must seek the true riches that are only to be found in Jesus Christ. For when we do so, our behavior will line up with his kingdom. And so Paul conducts this x-ray in three different ways. And we will do the same. In order to do it, we must, number one, there is a question we must answer. Number two, there is a deception that we must counter. And finally, number three, there is a truth that we must embrace. A question we must answer, a deception we must counter, and a truth we must embrace. So let's undergo, undergo our own x-ray here as a church, a question we must answer. Okay, the background again, we've been going out through Corinthians. There are divisions in the church. Uh, the people who are in the church, the Corinthians, they're treating the church as a worldly institution, a means for them gaining status and position. They've broken up into factions. They have their own particular champions. They're trying to be in the right crowd, and they aren't viewing each other the way that they should. And so Paul says to them, he, he uh, asks this question, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? That's the question. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, this message, this question would certainly have impacted the Jewish people in the congregation, though Corinth was filled with different temples representing different gods. But the Jews remembered how God had led them out of Egypt, had called them his own, his people, and he had said that he would dwell with them. And he instructed them to build them a place, build him a place where he would reside with them and his glory would fill the temple and they would have access to the presence of God. And Paul is saying, church, you are the temple. Don't you know that you are the true temple of God where the spirit dwells? Now keep in mind, while Paul is saying this, the temple in Jerusalem is still standing. But what Paul is saying is that God is not there anymore. The temple of God is not the building there in Jerusalem. It's God's people who are gathered as his church. Now here, notice he's talking about, don't you know that you, he's speaking in the plural sense. He's speaking corporately. He's talking about the church. In 1 Corinthians 6, he does talk about each one of us being God's temple, but he's talking about moral issues there. In this particular passage, he's talking about the people of God, namely you, assembled together as God's people. Now, remember, of course, when the temple was built, the Solomonic temple was built, that the fire of God came down and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
It's the same thing that happened at Pentecost, right? When the fire came down to rest on the believers. And the believers coming together, are the, glo- the glory of the Lord resides in the corporate body of the church. Ephesians 2.22 puts it this way. In him, you, church, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, we are a living building, a residence for the God of the universe. That's why in Matthew 18.20, Jesus says, For where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them. When we gather together on Sunday, the presence of God is resident with us here, as well as in all the places where the church of God meets. We are the building because we have the spirit. Indeed, John Calvin suggests that we translate this verse this way. Do you not know that you are God's temple because God's spirit dwells in you? See, there are those that are Christians that say, I don't need the church. Nature is my church. And the answer Paul gives to you is, no, it's not. Is God, can we encounter God in his nature? Absolutely, sure. But not in the same way as when you come together as God's people. Because God has said in a peculiar and focused and real sense that you cannot find anywhere else in the world. This is where I will reside. The church is the gathering place where God's presence is. It's the place where us and the world are to feel the presence of God. Think about it. When you come together and one person is worshiping and the spirit of God is in them, and then a hundred of these Different people come together and the spirit of God is in each one of us and we're singing, prompted and led by the Holy Spirit. When an unbeliever comes in, we sense it as well, that something is going on here. That God is in his people. That unbelievers sense it and sense there's something different here than the world. See, the issue is that the Corinthians are not seeing the church right. They're not seeing the sacredness and the beauty and the weight of it. The scriptures go even further in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God is zealous for his temple, the church. And to attack one person, one part of the temple is to attack the temple. And the world does attack Christians, does it not? If you're a college student, you've felt the oppression of the world that maybe belittles you for your faith, for what you believe. Maybe at work, you've experienced attacks on your faith, belittling you for what you believe. Why does the world attack Christians? The answer is, Because Jesus no longer walks around the world in bodily form, but you do. And if they can't get to him, they're going to try to get to him through getting through you. 
Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, if you are not a Christian in some way, shape, or form, you are scattering, not gathering God's people together. Paul is saying to the Corinthians and challenging us, you and by your works, works, Corinthians, are actually scattering. Even though you are God's people, you're doing the world's work. You're hurting the very thing by which I dwell in your midst. Now we must look at ourselves. Maybe we are not causing division and dividing into factions like the Corinthians. I don't really see that in our church. But do we see the church for what it is? The temple of God by which he dwells by his spirit. Is my attitude toward church casual? My decision to come to church, to not come to church. How am I feeling today? How's the weather? Should I come? Well, should I maybe do something else? The decision to change church. Now, this is no longer doing it for me anymore. I need to go find something else that will meet my particular needs. In other words, do we have a consumer mindset of the world? The church is simply for me. Now, to be sure, the church is for you. But you are also for the church. You and I are servants in the temple of God called to take our place because God's spirit dwells in you and me and he is gathering us together. If you are a Christian, God has called us to be a kingdom of priests. If my attitude is I come for God to serve me but not to serve God, I've missed the point. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all of us. And to each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To serve one another in God's temple is to serve God. I have an example here I want to show you. I do this sometimes when it's just me, when I get bored. This is... You guys would know it as Jenga. They're colored blocks because you have to be a VIP. Only certain people can actually get these particular blocks. But we all know Jenga, right? It's a game where you start with a tower. And the goal is, what can I take away with the structure still standing? And people keep taking it away away and away, but every block that you take away, the structure becomes weaker and weaker, right? And the goal is not to be the last person that weakens the structure so much that the whole thing falls. Now, we think this block is superfluous. It doesn't matter, right? I took it away, the thing's still standing, but is it as stable as it was before? Absolutely not, right? Certainly can't grow bigger, can it? See, it 
requires stability to continue to grow larger, larger, stronger, stronger, and so on. See, what happens is when you continue to pull away these different members of the structure is that the members that are left are carrying more and more of the weight, balancing it more and more. See, if we have our attitude and mentality is that my part doesn't matter. What do I have to be a part of this? It not only stresses the members who are there, but we aren't being built into what we could become. The mission statement of Redeemer Presbyterian is to make mature and equipped disciples used by God to transform this community, our families, and the world beyond. And every single block counts. So the application of this point is to see the church rightly, that we are the temple of God, that we are not consumers, but rather we are members. That's a structural term, right? In a house, all the joists and the joints, they're all members. God is showing himself here, and I have a part to play. I am a Jenga block in God's church. There are three distinctive things we talk about Redeemer, that Redeemer is a home, a mission, and a training center. And I have a certain role to play as well. I'm a shepherd. I'm an equipper. I'm a trainer. But all of us are ministers. And all of us must take our own particular place. Now you may be saying, well, just tell me what to do. And the answer is, I have absolutely no idea what you are supposed to do. Right? People want to make me into a CEO where I'm pulling you off the bench and slotting you in your position. I already did that once before in a different career. I'm not going to do it again. But I will come alongside you and help equip you and train you. When you come to me and say, I want to take my place in God's temple, and maybe you're already doing it right now, and praise God. The point is to find your place, to pick up a towel, to be a part of what God is doing, because you are part of God's temple. This leads me to my second point, a deception that we must counter. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. See, the root of the trouble in the church is that they think too highly of themselves. I have noticed that when I think too highly of myself, that's when I do the most damage to other people. Right? when we confuse the glory of God with the glory of ourselves, when we are blinded by our own light, we cannot see others. And the reason that the Corinthians are blinded is because they are following the wisdom of the world. The world says that you are the answer, that you are the final arbiter of truth, that there is not a universal truth, there is only your truth. 
and you can sit in judgment of what is true and what is not. And it sounds great at first, but it's like this. It's like a railroad locomotive that's going up a, a hillside, a mountainside on a set of tracks and says, you know what? I don't need to use these tracks anymore. They're limiting me. I can go anywhere I want and do anything I want. And we know what happens as soon as it jumps those tracks, right? Disaster. See, it's foolish to think that we are autonomous beings, that we can be free of the influence of anything. Because the reality is you're always riding on somebody's tracks. See, the world says you can live out your truth as long as it agrees with us. I was in CVS recently and I saw this picture as I was walking by. It was an ad for L'Oreal Palace, uh, Paris, excuse me. And its title was Own Your Worth. In other words, you need to create your worth. You're responsible for it. And you can be worthy. And guess how you're going to do that? Our product. In fact, you have to have our product. I love the type, the subtitle. You can't see it in the top right. Beauty unaltered. <laughs> really, beauty unaltered. As you have your line of cosmetic products right there. You need our product because we're going to tell you the standard. This is the standard of who you have to be. Our models will set the standard, never mind that they're airbrushed, and so on and so on. That's the wisdom of the world. Now, am I condemning wisdom? No. Am I condemning science or medicine or the many advances due to the common grace of God? No. That's not the wisdom that he's talking about. He's talking about wisdom that separates us from God. With human wisdom that's separate from God, where I can discover God. In fact, I can be God. It was the German philosophers of the 18th century, Hegel and Nietzsche and Stirner and Mainlander, who said that we don't need God anymore. We can be our own gods. It was Nietzsche that said this quote in one of his books, that God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. And Nietzsche understood what this meant. He said, how shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe the blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Is it not any surprise that a culture given to such sentiments would be the hotbed that birthed Nazism that led to the death of 70 million people? If we will not submit to being the temple of God, we will build the temple of man and it will not stand. As it says in verse 20, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Can we live in a church 
and simultaneously ascribe to the values of the world? And the answer is no. There's an irreconcilable clash in between the world and God's wisdom. For the church says to glorify God, and the world says to glorify ourselves. The church says to love and serve one another sacrificially, and the world says to always act in your best interest over others. And so Paul is saying, do not be deceived. In Galatians 6, 7, he puts it this way. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household faith. Paul is saying to us, Do not be deceived. Our life is a life of sowing. And there will be a harvest. Remember what we talked about last week, that we are building on a foundation and only that is what is done of him will last. My worldly accomplishments will not stand the test of time. Only those that are done for Christ. And it's important to know, my friends, that none of us None of us always 100% do things for the glory of the Lord. Will there be burning up of things in in, in our life at the end of judgment? Absolutely. Not us. Remember, we're just talking about the labor. But is my life more and more being typified by listening to God and his word rather than that of the world? See, you walk out this door and the the frequency of the world instantly comes on and it's playing 24-7 all day long. Am I letting God's word all day long be playing in my heart and in my life? Am I gathering with the church throughout the week in different ways, encouraging one another to stay in the truth? Because there is a deception that we must avoid if we want to be God's people. This leads me to my final point, a truth that we must embrace. Paul turns the corner in verse 21. He says, for let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. In other words, you, you don't have to play this game of the world. You don't have to find your clique. Find your faction, find your place, find your thing. See, each of them, they've picked their camp. They've picked their man that they're going to follow. And notice what Paul says. He says, you don't belong to them. They belong to you. He says that they have been given to you to help you see the truth of Jesus Christ. See, God wants us to listen to his son, Jesus, to whom all authority attaches. That these teachers are only here to teach God's word. 
It's why we don't have popes, right? Who are the arbiters of truth. We have the scriptures, the words of God through the Holy Spirit that Christ has given us. And Paul is saying you can accept these teachers only as they teach what is clearly directed from Christ. Because they are a gift to you. And you belong to Christ. In other words, you don't belong to them. You don't belong to the world. You belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. See, it's Jesus who has bought you and I, if you are a Christian, out of the world. He's died for you. He's redeemed you. He's given you a new name, a new future, a new destiny. You and I belong to a new master. One who doesn't enslave us, but one who sets us free. I love Romans 8.32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? See, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that everything belongs to you. Well, like what, Paul? He's, Paul has said all these teachers, they belong to you. But the world belongs to you. Think about that. What if we were to walk down to the Atlantic Ocean right now and look at the Atlantic Ocean and the immensity of it and all of the life in it and all of the beauty and the power and say the truth that that is our dad's. It belongs to our family of which we are a part. Don't you know that we will inherit the earth? See, we don't have to clutch on to everything so tightly. Because everything that we need is ours. Notice what he says, whether life, life is yours. For we have Jesus Christ, right? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. We don't have to own our own worth, right? We don't have to jump through the hoops of the world because we have life in Jesus Christ. As we go to him, death is yours, it says. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Death is a gateway to Jesus Christ. We do not fear the future and what is to come the decay of our bodies, for we know that there will be a resurrection. Life is yours. The world is yours. Death is yours. The present is yours. Every day you and I wake up. What lies before me is mine. That's why it's the present. There are some things that are challenging, some things that are to be celebrated, but they're all mine. Because they're all my heavenly fathers and they're given to me to make me like Christ. I am not a victim of my circumstances and the capriciousness of this world. The future is mine and yours. We don't need to fear what comes tomorrow. 
Think about all the things that trouble you and I. What are we concerned about? The future? The past? The uncertainty of what is to come? Maybe you feel, I I don't have time to build God's kingdom. I've got to build mine, right? I've got to own my worth. But the Bible tells us that all is yours. Are we like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son? When the younger son comes, all these years I've been slaving for me and you've never even given me anything. Oh, my son, everything I have is yours. Start living like it's yours. With gratefulness, faithfulness, and attentiveness. For it belongs to you because you belong to him. To finish, stop buying into the world. Answer the question. I am a part of the temple of God and God's spirit dwells in me. Pick up your shovel, whatever it is, and be a part of the true kingdom. Do not be deceived by the world. Embrace all that Christ has for you. Build your life on what matters. Stop following the world. And seek your riches from Christ alone. For when you do that, your behavior will line up with his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you when we were orphans. You came and you found us. And through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, you have adopted us into your family. You have made us a temple of God by which you live. And you call us to take up our place as part of what you are doing in this world. God, let us no longer run to the things of this world, clinging to them for dear life. For all things are ours in you. And you have given us all the riches that we need. We give you praise and glory and thanks. We pray all of this in Christ's name.